I'm in a good mood today because it's Sabbath and because I had a great Valentine's Day yesterday. I see some of you with long faces out there and I can only imagine <laughs> that it was Singles Awareness Day for you <laughs> or you forgot or you were expecting something and did not get it. And I apologize for that on behalf of whoever it is that lets you down. It's all over the place. I don't know how you could forget it. Everywhere you go, everything is covered in red or pink. My kids went to school yesterday and, uh, you know, uh, we, have, we got a nice letter at the beginning of the week saying, make sure you bring some candy, hear the name of all the kids. So they worked on it to make sure that they handed out Valentine's and they came up with a bag full of stuff and little Valentine's and, and lots of uh, little hearts. You remember these? You would get them for Valentine's. They say things like, uh, oh, these are kind of a little saucy, yes. No, this one says sunshine, love bug. The most common one is be mine. But on here I also have first kiss, what? Or let's kiss, what is this? What's happening? Melt my heart. Oh, that's better. Cloud nine. Very nice, very nice. Let's just be friends. No, that's not on here. If you got that one, I am really sorry. I apologize. That, that, that's not in here. Someone had that made special just for you. But everywhere else, love is in the air. It is February. People are excited. People are, were buying stuff. Um, if, you, if you were around town yesterday, you saw people having these ridiculously large balloon bouquets um, or flowers. Maybe you received some at, at, at work or at home. Valentine's Day is a very big deal in, in, our, in our country. In fact, CNN reports um, that um, the average person spends $130 on Valentine's Day. $130 on Valentine's Day. But let's clear it up. Men spend like $188 and women spend only about 88 Why is that? I don't know. Maybe there's an expectation in our country that the men should take the initiative when it comes to Valentine's Day. What we do know is there's over 220 million roses grown and sold on Valentine's Day or for the Valentine's Day um, holiday. 50% of those are red roses. And red means? I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Uh, <clears throat> it's mostly men who buy flowers, but some women do as well. One in every five men buy flowers for their moms. Oh, mama's boys. Some people spend money on jewelry or on diamond, silver. Um, I, in fact, uh, CNN reports that $4.4 billion are spent on Valentine's Day on silver, diamonds, gold, uh, uh, jewelry. Um, even pets get in on the action. People get their pets Valentine's Day gifts. I don't know what that means other than they really love their pets. I'm not really quite sure. And then there are, get this, according to CNN, there are 6 million people who were either planning a marriage proposal or expecting a marriage proposal. 
It is a very, it is a very, uh, you know, popular stretch of a couple of days for marriage proposals. Um, maybe, maybe you're one of the lucky ones uh, that was proposed to you over the Valentine's Day weekend. Maybe, maybe you just got engaged yesterday. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not quite sure. But we do know that according to CNN, there's at least 6 million people who are planning or expecting. Uh, that means most of these people in their preparation and in their getting ready and in their purchasing and in their planning were hoping for a happily ever after. Do you like that phrase? You like that phrase? It comes from, uh, you know, mostly I don't know if Disney actually invented the phrase or it was before that, but Disney has definitely popularized the phrase happily ever after. In fact, it's a way to close out uh, one of the fairy tales where uh, the princess falls in love for the prince, the wedding bells ring, and you end the story by saying, and they lived happily ever after. It's this wonderful little phrase that invokes that all things are going to work out and that love will last forever and that the couple that we're seeing on the screen or reading about in the book will in fact live happily ever after. But happily ever after is not always so happy or so ever or so after. Today we're talking about love here on our campus. We've been talking about love. We've been talking about love because this is a month of love. Everyone's focused on it, and we want to catch your attention as well. And we've been talking about love in three different ways. A couple weeks ago, we talked about what love is and how the Bible defines love. It comes from 1 John chapter 4. And what the Bible says is that love is defined by God himself. For God is, that's an equal sign, love. God is love. And then along that chapter, uh, the authors began to unpack what they mean by that. And, and we covered some ground there. I'm going to review that in a little bit. But we're talking about God's love. And once we understand God's love, then the Bible tells us that we need to love each other. Because in loving each other, that's how people can see God. That's what we talked about last week. Love for each other. But that kind of love is more like um, uh, uh, friendship love, companionship love, maybe, maybe familial love. Or in, in, in the Greek word philo, which is like, a, like Philadelphia love, like, like friendship, brotherly love, sisterly love. The kind of love you might have for your neighbors. Today we're going to go one step further and talk about romance. Wait, wait. Let me do that again. Romance. <laughs> we're going to talk about that other love that the Bible talks about. A love that exists in only very special places. We're going to talk about love. We're going to talk about happily ever after. There are some of you in the congregation uh, today who are uh, living your happily ever after. Uh, you've, you're married. You've been married for some time. You found the love of your life. Um, you're dedicating your life to, to growing your family and your relationship. There are some of you in the congregation who um, have never married, still looking for that special someone. Uh, and if that's you, you're in luck. Church is a good place to meet people. Um, uh, I highly recommend it. And there may be some of you in the congregation who have loved and lost. Um, maybe in ways uh, that are difficult to talk about today. But I want you to just hang in there. I want you to just hang in there as we talk about romance and about romantic love. What we do know is that for those 6 million people, and by the way, there are 2 million marriages, over 2 million marriages every year here in the United States. People get married. People fall in love. 
for every marriage, there's probably a lot more people who fall in love. In fact, um, in, in today's society, a lot less people are married than there used to be. Uh, more people are choosing alternative routes to partnership and to love. And people have begun to understand love differently beyond, say, the marriage between a man and a woman, beyond the traditional understandings of marriage in a household. People have begun to express and interpret love differently. But what we do know is that even all through this climate change in terms of love, people are still getting married. People are still hoping for a happily ever after. So that's what we want to talk about today, happily ever after. Is that possible? What does it take? What does God have to say about romantic love? I want to tell you just right off the bat that uh, finding someone to love uh, can seem like a very daunting task. Amen? Well, if you're single out there, you might agree with me. Um, if you're the lucky one and love found you, well, congratulations. What do you want, a cookie? Um, <laughs> most of us have uh, had some challenge in finding someone who not necessarily to love, but someone who would love us. And uh, for those of us that are in relationships, that are married, I want you to think back about uh, the time when you finally found that special someone, what it took for you to be finally convinced that you loved him or her and that you wanted to express that love. Especially think about the day you first said, I love you. You first said, I love you. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? Yes, some of you do. Some of you don't. It was a long time ago, perhaps. Uh, many I love yous have come and gone since then. I'm not really sure. But I want you to try to think about what it would be like to find someone and express that love. You see, in our country, you know, uh, these, these uh, millions of people yesterday were kind of hoping and longing that someone would confess their love and say, not only do I love you, I'm in love with you. You know that difference, right? Yeah. I'm in love with you, and I want to spend the rest of my life with you. That's this, this great expectation. But not everyone that bought red roses or balloons is really hoping to get that far. But generally speaking, most people are thinking, I want to find someone that I can love happily ever after. But it isn't always easy. Sometimes the road to love and the road to marriage and the road to romance uh, is filled with um, detours. Sometimes it's filled with traps, sinkholes even. Um, it can be difficult to find a partner in this day and age. It can be difficult to uh, express love in such a way that it is well received. And yet, we, most of us, live in the hope that it is possible. And in fact, yesterday, many of us were expecting that it might be possible for us. And yet, happily ever after seems to elude over half the marriages um, here in our country. You know that statistic fairly well. Uh, the divorce rate has been declining over the last few years, but it's still near the halfway mark. So of those that get married the first time, um, even of those, they don't live happily ever after. And for people who get married again a second and third time, the odds are even uh, greater against them. So is it possible to have a happily ever after? Should we even try? Should we bother? I want to tell you that um, God, in fact, has something to say about this. 
This morning, we read about the first encounter, the first romantic encounter that the Bible has. It's found in the book of Genesis chapter 2. I don't want you to go there. I just want you to listen. You'll remember. God talks about creation. He talks about forming the earth and filling with all kinds of great things. And then he made uh, human beings. And the Bible tells us in chapter 2 of the book of Genesis that he took man, looked at him, and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. Let's make a suitable helper for him. You might recall these verses if you've studied this. And then he caused men to fall into a deep sleep. You remember the story? Took out a rib from men and formed woman. And then presented her to him. And the Bible says that when, when, when first man, Adam, looked at the woman, he looked at her, looked her in the eyes, took a deep breath, and he said, you are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. It's not that romantic, uh, but what he was trying to say, <laughs> what he was trying to say is more like, more like this. Maybe you'll recognize this better. I'm going to read a dialogue. Hopefully you recognize it. And uh, when you're ready, you jump in. Hello. I'm looking for my wife. All right. If this is where it has to happen, then this is where it has to happen. I'm not letting you get rid of me. How about that? This used to be my specialty. I was good in the living room. Send me in there. I'll do it all alone. And now... I just, I don't know. But our company, our little company has had a good night, a really big night. But it wasn't complete. It wasn't nearly close to being the same vicinity as complete because I couldn't share it with you. I couldn't hear your voice or laugh about it with you. I miss my wife. And we live in a cynical, cynical world. We work in a business of tough competitors I love you. You complete me. And I just, just, and you say, <laughs> you had me at hello. You don't recognize that? Anybody? Thank you. All right. The younger people are like, what is that? What are you talking about? Jerry Maguire, one of those famous love scenes when he says, you complete me. And she says, you had me at hello. <laughs> it's what every girl wants to hear. You complete me. That's what Adam's trying to say, by the way. Did you get that? He says, you are bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. You complete me. And the Bible tells us in the book of Genesis that when they first encountered each other, he already understood this. That when he beheld her, looked at her, he understood something about her. One, that God had provided her to him and that God had made it that they would be together. So when he beheld her, he said, we are one. You complete me. And then the Bible follows it up by saying that in that moment, they were together, united as one. And they, had, and they felt no shame, even though they were naked. It's a very interesting first encounter, right? You don't want to make, you want to meet someone for the very first time in your birthday suit, <laughs> generally speaking. But that's what's going on here in the book of Genesis chapter 2. And it tells us something about the way God intended romantic love to be and to take place. And the first thing we learn from there is what we learn in 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to remind you this. 1 John chapter 4 says this, that love comes from God. 
Okay, so we're going to have an honest conversation about romance, okay? You hang in there. If you're immature for this, close your ears, whatever. Um, hang in there. Love comes from God. That's not just the, uh, the, the, the kind of love that we used to love God or love our neighbors. But romantic love, the kind you have for a husband or a wife, significant other, it comes from God. It has to come from God. The problem with most of us in our society here and, and, and the majority of the people that don't find happily ever after is that they are not looking to God as the source of their romantic relationship. But love comes from God. You cannot find it apart from God. So, young ladies in the audience, young men in the audience, those of you guys who are still on the hunt, I mean, you're looking. Consider this. In your love relationship, as you're focusing your attention on someone that you might love, is God welcome there? Can God be there with you? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to guilt you like God is watching your every move, although he is. But I'm not, you know, like, oh, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that love, as we find in the book of Genesis, comes from God. It is God who says it is not good for man to be alone. Let's find a suitable companionship. Let's make him complete. That completeness, that's happily ever after. That comes from God. You cannot find it apart from God. In most of our world, most of the people around, you know, most of the songs that are written and the movies that are made and these stories that are told are trying to find this romantic connection, this spark, this thing, but they're trying to find it apart from God. Unfortunately, all they come upon is an emotion, right? All they come upon is like a feeling that can come and go. You know what that's like. People say, well, we fell in love and then I don't know what happened. You fell out of love, they say, well, it just isn't there anymore for me. I just don't feel the same way. The love that society is trying to substitute when it comes to romance is not the love that comes from God. It's a human thing. It's a human emotion. That's why it's fleeting. That's why it changes. You can go from loving this person to loving that person or that person or that person or all of them at the same time. But that's not the way God intended it. God intended that there would be a completeness with one person. So Adam says to his bride, you complete me. Flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 that love reveals God. It allows us to know him. And in the romantic love that he wants to give you for your life, if that's his plan for you, it's meant to reveal who you are. So how you love says something about you. Does that make sense? Sometimes I meet with uh, couples. I try to do some counseling with couples. And they're struggling with the situation. And then I say, well, what seems to be the problem? And then uh, oftentimes, this isn't always, but oftentimes uh, the wife will say, well, I'm I just not sure that he loves me. To which she'll say, you know that I do. And then she'll say, well, you never tell me you love me. And he says, come on, you know I do. I don't have to tell you. You know I love you. I buried you, didn't I? You heard that one? You used that one? <laughs> says, I, I, why do I have to say it? Why do I have to do this? You know that it's true. You know that I do. 
But how you love should communicate. It should reveal what's in your heart. Other people say, I love you like it's nothing, but there's nothing to back that up, right? Some guys, when they're backed into a corner, that's their one uh, move of escape. What happened to you? I love you. I love you. You know, hoping that that will somehow, you know, fix things. But love, the way God designed it for himself, comes from him and it reveals him. And the love that he wants for you and your relationship, maybe the marriage that you're in, maybe the marriage that you're looking for, maybe the marriage that you're fighting for is one where God must be welcome and one that God allows you to reveal yourself. Why, I'm going to tell you why this is important. Because if you look at uh, this story that I just told you about in, in, uh, in Genesis, when, when Adam meets his wife, when they become one, the Bible describes that moment as a moment that there is no shame. There's nothing to hide, and there's an acceptance there. What we learn from 1 John is that God's love is atoning, is at oneing. It brings people together. Even when there is brokenness, even where are things that would separate others, God's love brings people together. And it's the same way in romantic love. It's intended to bring people together, sometimes very different people. Sometimes people who have done and said things that are hurtful to each other. It's supposed to be such that you can be who you are and be in love and accepted by this person. And that's why the Bible describes that moment as having no shame. But happily ever after is not always that easy. Most of us spend our time, when we're looking for someone, hiding the most we can about ourselves, right? We call it putting the best foot forward or putting the, best, putting the worst foot backward, right? We call it, let's make a good impression. I remember, you remember. I tell the story all the time. When my wife and I first got married, now this was after we got married, uh, I cooked her dinner. She was, at, she was at work, and she'd come home, drive up the hill, and I would make her dinner. And I would say, oh, because I love you, honey, I'm going to make you dinner. And she was like, oh, that's so sweet. And I lasted maybe like four days. <laughs> right? When we're first wooing somebody, when we're first falling in love, we try to put this best foot forward. We're trying to pretend that we're this way because we want them to love us the way we think it will be required us to be. We're not always sure that they will love us for who we actually are. Sometimes that comes later, much to the disappointment in the person that's finding out who you truly are. It's not always easy to keep up the pretenses. There's a famous story about a couple who <clears throat> fell in love and they're about to get married. And uh, they were planning uh, for their marriage, their reception, and for their wedding night. And about a week before... Uh, the, all the big events took place. Um, they each had worried looks on their faces. You see, the young man had a problem he had not discussed with anyone. He had long since moved out from home and was living on his own. And he was about to get married and find a woman that he loved, but he was afraid that if she knew the secret about him, that she would not marry him. So he decided he needed to find some help and some assistance, so he went to see the doctor. See, he had a foot problem. He had a really, really uh, smelly feet, very, very stinky feet. And so he went to see the doctor and he said, you don't understand. You know, I've been living on my own so I can handle this, but I'm getting married. And I'm afraid that if my wife, my soon-to-be wife, finds out that I have really smelly feet, she won't want to marry me. So what do I do? Well, first they tried a few potions, a few things, but it wouldn't go away. His feet would sweat so much and it would just be, be stinky. So the doctor came up with a solution or a suggestion. He said, it's very simple. 
At all times when you're at home, keep your socks on. No matter what happens, do not remove your socks until you've had a chance to go to the bathroom, wash up, and then even then, put socks back on. So then he said, all right, if that's what I have to do, that's what I'll have to do. Meanwhile, while he was contending with this issue, unbeknownst to him, his fiance also was having some doubts and some challenges of her own. She didn't know what to do, so she went to see her mother. Mother was excited to see her, but what's the worried look on your face? She says, you don't understand, Mom. I'm getting married, but, but there's just one thing. In a few more days, we'll spend, you know, our first night together, and, well, okay, you know, everyone's really nervous. She says, no, that's not what I'm worried about. She says, it's the morning after. What do you mean? Mom, I have the worst morning breath ever. What? She says, it's true. Every time I fall asleep with my mouth open, and in the morning I just have the most dragon breath you can imagine. She says, I, I'm sure it's not that bad. Yes, it is, Mom. It's true. It's really bad. My roommate in college, you know, she told me, and then I, I found out. And it's, it's, I'm afraid that if he finds this out about me, he won't want to marry me. So Mom said, well, have you tried toothpaste and all that? I've tried everything, she says. Listerine at night, but it doesn't matter. When I wake up in the morning, it's the worst morning breath. Some of you all know what I'm talking about. So Mom came up with a plan and a solution. She said, look. Here's what you got to do. At night, when you go to bed, make sure you brush your teeth. You do all the listerine. You do all the stuff. It says, but in the morning, you set your alarm extra early. And you wake up before he does, before anybody does. First, you wake up. You slip out. You go and make breakfast. And then, once you've made breakfast and they get up to go eat breakfast, you go to the bathroom and you just... Scrub, 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 and you make sure you get it all out of there. So remember, though, when you wake up, don't say a word. Keep your mouth, when you wake up, keep your mouth closed. Get up out the bed, sneak out, do the thing. He'll wake up, he'll smell breakfast, he'll go eat, and sh- sh- you'll be n- he'll be none the wiser. And so she says, okay, that's the plan. I guess that's what we'll do. And so the big day came. They got married. Um... And then they went off to the honeymoon, had a fantastic time. And the very first morning that they were together, she thought it was a little odd. He wore socks to bed, okay? And then the morning after, she kept her silence. Got up, didn't say a word, slithered out, went and made breakfast, then brushed her teeth. And so it was. And so this is the way they learned to live together. Him with his perpetual socks and her with her usual silences. Until one day... He was sleeping, and in the middle of the night, he was rustling around, and he realized one sock was off his foot. And he, he began to panic. First, he began to search with his foot like this, hoping he can stick his foot in it, then started reaching down with his hands, looking forward to some rescue, and doing, while he started to panic, he started to reach, it woke up his wife, and he, it was, he's panicking, and she, she woke up, and she thought, what are you doing? And she said to him, what's going on? To which he said, oh no, you ate my sock. We can pretend all we want. But in time, everything will be revealed. In time, even the things that we hide about ourselves will eventually come out. 
This is what we know about happily ever after, right? This is what we know. Your first two, three, four years of marriage or even in relationships, you can put up a good front. But in time, the truth will reveal itself. In fact, it's meant to. The Word of God tells us that this romantic love, in fact, is the place where you are supposed to be able to reveal the most about yourself. It's the one place that's supposed to be the safest place for you to show exactly who you truly are. And in that place and by that person, find acceptance. So that's why God says the love that He gives us is modeled that way. God loves you as you are. And the kind of romantic love He wants for you is the kind where you accept somebody as they are. Most people don't want to hear that. They think that if they love somebody enough, they'll be able to change them. In fact, a lot of young women meet a young man, and he's not good right now, but she says, I'll work on him. Don't worry. He'll come around. But that is foolishness. You cannot, by love, force to change somebody because that's not what love is. It's not a tool. It's not a weapon. In fact, First uh, John chapter 4 tells us that love is directional. It means you can only give it. You cannot turn it around and muscle it and require of it. So even in romance, in that moment, Adam says to his bride, you are flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. He's giving. He's choosing. He's not requiring. The Bible goes on to talk about what this happily ever after needs to look like. So I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles. We're not going to spend too much time, so don't worry. We're in Ephesians chapter 5, and there's a section here uh, directed especially at wives and husbands. For those of you that are married or for those of you that are hoping to be married someday, or for those that are in a committed relationship or looking for one, I want you to just draw some, draw some wisdom from here. And this is what it says, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. We're going to quickly, don't get hung up too much. It says this, wives or women, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is a savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. I love it when uh, certain guys read this where they emphasize certain, when they read this chapter, this, you know, especially in public in front of church, they go, now wives, submit to your husband. And then they say, in everything like this. And then they want to, okay, amen, praise God, praise God for the reading of his word. May God bless and multiply the reading of his word. But, but, but that's not just, that, it doesn't end right there. The Bible talks about relationships and it talks about romance. And it's trying to describe something here. And it starts by saying, wives, submit. Now, you don't like the word. I know you don't like the word. No woman on earth likes the word submit. Especially no modern day woman likes the word submit. Because it has a connotation of, 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 of like, uh, giving up your rights and your privileges, it, it has a, a connotation of being under, but that's not really what it's saying. So just hang with me. And men, stop your grinning now because now it's coming for you. And it says this, verse 25, husbands or men, love your wives, love your women. Just as Christ loved the church. And I know, yeah, I love her. And gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant but holy, uh, as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any of the blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands have to love their wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself. See, here's here's where it is. 
Uh, here's the concept God is saying. In this romantic love, it only works if you have made a decision to love this person the way God modeled it. It cannot be selfish. The, the concept of submission, women, is to give your husband or the man in your life his proper place. I'll explain that in a second. Don't get worked up. Hang on just a second. His proper place. He has a role to play in your relationship, and your job is to let him have that role. That's what submission is. It's to think about him and his well-being and what will be good for him before yourself. But the same is true for men. In fact, it's even worse for us because the Bible says not just to think and submit, but to completely give up yourself for that special person in your life. You see that? Completely selfless. In fact, in the same way that God gave up his son for us, we are called to give up our interests, our wants, our preferences for the sake of our wives. And most love relationships that you'll find and you encounter and people that you know are not living this kind of love. They're living more of a contractual love. It goes like this. I'll do that for you if you do this for me. Or I'm not going to do that for you until you do this for me. In the book Love and Respect, this is a book based on this uh, verse, on these verses, uh, uh, Dr. Heinrich talks about uh, the idea of love and respect and how generally speaking, not for everyone, it's not uh, overall genesis, but generally speaking, women want to be loved and men want to be respected. And you might scoff at that, but I have found it very useful when you're thinking about this. Here's what happens. The Bible says, in fact, here, and I know this is antiquated and it's not modern day thinking, but I want you to just try to glean some wisdom from it. The Bible says that the man has a place, has a, a position in the relationship. The man has a role to play in your relationship and that unless he plays that role, you won't have a fully functioning partnership. See, in the Garden of Eden, Adam was physically built to do certain things that he was not. And she was uh, physically built to do certain things that Adam could not. And unless they each do their part, they cannot complete one another. Do you understand? Now, in our day and age, we've moved towards equality, and that's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. But there's still a sense in your relationship, there's still a place that one person must fill this role and another person must fill a different role. But oftentimes in relationships, I find couples competing for the same role. And then it's just survival of the fittest. Hmm? It's just war in the home. Because everyone wants to be an authority in that particular place. But you can't have two. There has to be some giving in here and some giving in there. And then the Bible says here that men ought to love their wives. The thing about most women, not all, but most women, is that the one thing they want is they want to feel the safety and the security of your love. They don't want to live in doubt or in fear. But oftentimes the men, the guys in your relationships don't want to give you that. They keep you hanging, right, ladies? I might, I might not. I don't know. Keep you wishy-washy. That's why when a girl can get a guy to say, I love you, she's like, I got him. That's not true. The Bible describes love as something that you have to give into. It's directional, remember? It's sacrificing. It's worth something. So when the Bible challenges us in this romantic love in arena to say, submit, and love, he's, it's actually saying the same thing, but from where you are particularly called in your relationship. So I want you to think of if you're in a relationship, whether you're married or 
getting close or somewhere in between, I want you to think about what are the places where you're finding the most fights, the most contention, and truly think about who should be taking the lead in there. Here's what I find a lot. I find when I'm counseling couples, a lot of them say, they say, um, uh, a woman might say, I want him to, you know, I want him to take the lead and be responsible and be a good father and be all these things, and I want him to make decisions. And then uh, when he does make a decision, she says, no, that's wrong. No, let's not do that. It's most simply modeled in the, where should we go out to eat? Husband says, how about Chinese? She says, no. Well, what do you like? Anything. I'm up for anything. Okay, how about Italian? Not that. Well, you just said anything. Yeah, yeah, whatever. You pick. Well, no, you pick. No, I want you to be a man. Take charge. Pick. Okay, we're going Vietnamese. No, I'm not having Vietnamese. You can't be, it can't be both ways, right? If you want him to have a role in your life where he is taking some, making some decisions and having some authority, you have to respect that. Even if he makes mistakes, that's what God's love does, right? God's love gives us the opportunity to make mistakes. He still loves us. Think about it. If you don't want her to constantly be trying to undermine you, you have to affirm her. You have to assure her. That's what the Bible says. Love your wives, love your women as, as, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. There's no doubt of Christ's love for the church. There should not be any doubt in her mind or in her heart about where you stand. And when we do this, it allows us, listen, it allows us to sift through all the other confusion that comes along with romantic love. It's not an emotion. It's not something you fall in and out of. It's a choice. It's a decision. It's an intent. And it reveals what's in your heart. And if you follow God's instructions, it will lead you to a happily ever after. No, not one free from pain or challenges or disappointments, but one free from brokenness that happens when relationships dissolve, when families and marriages fall apart. In fact, the Bible tells us that where this kind of love finds itself, not only will they be blessed, but generations that follow them. God says, I will bless you and your children and your children's children down to a thousand generations. If you grew up in a home where love was broken, the Bible says that the repairing can begin with you. If you lived in a home where you did not know not, this was not modeled for you, if you lived in a home, grew up in a home where there was nothing but fighting and contention, I want you to know that the Bible says it can begin with you. And maybe, maybe the opportunity has passed for you specifically, but maybe you have children or people that look up to you that will listen to you. It can begin there. You can give good counsel. You can point people in the right direction. Stop them from making the mistakes of pursuing love that is solely humanly based, based on uh, emotions, based on lust. Help them, pursue, help them to pursue a love that can only be found in God. I wish a blessing over you and your family, your loved ones, and for those especially who are thinking or planning or maybe preparing, may God give you wisdom to know what true love really is.